What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Nasty Cast might sound like a silly name for a show, but this is a serious fantasy baseball podcast. Okay, maybe not that serious, but these guys aren't just here to party. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Nasty Cast. I'm your host, Van Lee, and I am joined by Brian Vaughn of Springfield, Missouri. Brian Vaughn, welcome. How are you? What's up? I'm doing great. I'm here today because I'd like to talk about a group of men who traditionally stand mostly in one place and then are later just asked to hit a ball a long way. Yeah, that sounds about right. Ron First Rigney, baseman. you are also joining us on today's show. How are you? You are Wait, wait. You are Ron Rigney from... Somewhere in Indiana. What's the city? Uh, Clinton, Indiana Clinton. would be the city. Population of about, I think, 4,000 or so. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, and I also, show. R- r- real quick, I- I'm-, I'm very happy to see Brian is doing as well as he is because I really was thinking of him in the past couple of days. I didn't know how he handled the news of Cardinals great John Lester hanging it up and calling it a career. But he seems to <laughs> seems to be doing all right given that news, and I'm happy for that. John Lester is one of those players who becomes a Cardinal and then by <laughs> by the very doing of that tests my fandom. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, there has not been, it's been a while since there's been a Cardinal that Brian hated as much as John Lester. <laughs> AJ Pierzynski also became a Cardinal late in oh, his I career. Oh, I forgot mm. about that. Yeah, and then was just Not gone. a guy I've enjoyed. One of, the, one of the most punchable faces, I think, in the history Ugh. of the world. Yeah, he's Just up a there. face that if he walks up to you, there's something, you're about to get asked a question that's going to lead to you participating in something you don't want to be a part of. <laughs> I will never forget the time he was rounding third base to run home and the third baseman had dove for a ball to catch it the fielder had mm-hmm. and, and was on his belly on the ground. <laughs> and Przinsky stomped on his back as he ran to third base. And this was before they kind of outlawed the metal cleats. Wow. He stuck metal cleats in this baseball player's back. And ever since that happened, I have never been able well, to be like... Well, that's just terrible. See, like, I witnessed... In his little half season with the Cardinals, I witnessed him doing all the stuff that when he's not on your the team that you're rooting for, you can't stand like a bunch of trying to trick the umpire and that sort of stuff and just get away with things. And then when he's on your team, you're kind of like, oh, it's kind of cute. I see. I I can't buy that. I hate that so much because that's exactly what I was going to say. Everyone's like, "Well, what is your teammate? He's great." No, he's not. He's still the well, same. Well, he didn't piece of do crap. any of that stomping stuff. I mean, it was all it, it was, was all just cutesy. goofy baseball stuff. By then, he was an old man. You know, not not feeling as virile and murderous. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. All right. Well, this is the nasty cast. If you haven't guessed, we're talking first baseman. We've covered catchers. We've moved past that decrepit Well, position. not really. We're talking to AJ Pierzynski at length <laughs> to open the show today. Well, now we're going to talk first baseman, which is also a decrepit position in a lot of ways. So we'll get into that here shortly. Of course, we are a part of the Bootu Inc. podcast network. If you like what we do, we also have the Dynasty Baseball Show. It is a Dynasty Baseball Show. So we talk more, 
keeper leagues and teams with minor league systems. So check that out. We just covered the Tampa Bay Rays this week. We also have the Launch Angle podcast, which is for high stakes players. Check that one out. I interviewed Dan Simborski alongside my regular co-host Jeff Zimmerman this week, and we talked the Zips projection system. It was a lot of fun chatting with Dan. We talked video games and some other stuff, too. And then, of course, if you like comedy and other stuff, check out the BoobTube Boys. That is a show Brian Vaughn and our friend Spencer Hendricks and I do talking about TV shows. Lots of great and stuff. And probably there. AJ Pierzynski here and there. Well, a little bit, you know, every now and then. And if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Manly Van Lee. That's me. At Loud Guitar Brian is Brian. At The Real Ma Day is Ron, in case you couldn't have figured that out, M A D A Y. And of course, we are at Nasty Cast Pod with our sister podcast at Boo2 Dynasty. If you'd prefer to email us, you can reach me at Boo2Inc at gmail.com. B O O T U. All right, first base. So let's talk about the position as a whole. Uh, start with you, Ron. What do you think? Is first base deep? Is it shallow? Are there a lot of players you like? Are there a few players you like? Overall, what do you think of the position? Um, you know, we, we started ta- we, we started talking about this and we were texting back and forth a few days ago about it. And and when I first just initially took a look at it, uh, I really thought it sucked really badly. And then I, I started to look at it a little bit deeper and I don't hate it as much. But I won't say that I, it, made, it made me like it anymore, if that's kind of the most complicated answer I could give. But I will say it's very top-heavy. I will say I probably will not wait more than, I, I'd say, at the fourth, maybe fourth round at the latest to have my first baseman. I'll probably have him within the first three rounds. I mean, when you move down the, the, the ranks a little bit, and we'll get to some of these guys, there's things that they do well. But there's also, you know, maybe after about the first eight or nine guys, there starts to be a lot of question marks. So. I, I don't know if I, we, you know, we talked about catcher last week. I don't know if I like first base much more than I like catcher. I mean, there, I don't think there's as much value to be had later on as there are some of the catching spots that we saw because there's a lot of names that we're going to go over on this list that uh, casual fantasy player is not going to know. Um, but I think that if you get one of these guys at the top, you know, the, the top two or three first basemen in, in, you know, one of your first three rounds, it's really going to put your team ahead of a lot of other spots. I think it's going to give you a big advantage. It really is as rough as it's been, and first base has been getting rough for a few years, but I know what you're saying, Ron, because really, for me, probably the first eight guys we're going to talk about, I feel like these are very good players who are going to be solid contributors. After that, it gets a little dicier. The one big advantage of a catcher with first base is there are at-bats to be found throughout. I mean, if you take the if you go down in the 20s and 30s on this list, you'll find guys who will be getting at-bats in some capacity, whereas with catchers, you don't get as much of that. But this is no longer a position where you where there are 10 guys who you can count on to hit 300 with 30 homers and 100 RBI. That's just not a thing any longer. Now you have a few stars, a couple of mid-tier guys, and then you're kind of just chasing home runs in large part. And uh, that makes it, kind of light catcher and that you don't want to completely fall asleep at the wheel with it. The concept of the value and like you said, the 10 guys who hit 300 with 30 home runs, the positional strength has kind of shifted to shortstop, in my opinion, from first base. Yeah. There's so many elite shortstops now and there are no <laughs> real first baseman outside of a handful. What I think as far as drafting a first baseman this year is I get it. I think the top eight or, or however many are in a league of their own. But they're also not contributors across the board, in particular in stolen bases. And I think 
that's where all your stolen bases are going to come in the spots that these guys are drafted. So while I understand that they're better, I think I personally am more comfortable taking guys much later and taking a couple of them and seeing what hits, what sticks and going from there because there are, I can pick and choose. If I need batting average, I might go for this guy. If I need pure power, I might go for this guy. I'm more comfortable making that decision later as opposed to taking, I don't know, Freddie Freeman early on and then just not having stolen bases for a bit. I'd rather look for a guy who's probably going to get me double-digit stolen bases early. It all depends on team construction. But overall, I think there's enough mixing and matching that can be done for this position that you can find the value you're looking for. So on that note... Let's go down through them. We'll talk to first, I don't know, 15 to 20 of these guys, and then we'll give you our best buys, bad buys, best options outside the top 20, so on and so forth. And the number one, fantasy baseball, first baseman. No surprise, it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's right, my cat's baby boy. He had, obviously, a monster season last year. 698 plate appearances, 48 home runs, four steals, 311, 401, 601, with 123 runs and 111 RBIs. Everything minus stolen bases, was absolutely elite. Brian, he's going with the fourth overall pick in this year's drafts. Number one, do you see yourself drafting Guerrero at number four? Number two, is he the first baseman you want? Just overall, what do you think of this pick? I would not be opposed to Vlad Jr. at number four. I'm not a guy who needs to have stolen bases uh, out of one of my first couple of picks. I usually tend to find guys who steal 10 or 12 and do fine there. I mean, with Vlad, he's one of those guys who's such a... A lot of times when people say pure hitter, they just means hits for average. But with Vlad, he does absolutely everything. He just completely mashes. He's what you used to take in the first round in like 2005 uh, or 2002 of a fantasy draft. He'll do everything but steal bases for you as well as anybody in the game. So... And I wouldn't be shocked if he gets a little bit better as he enters his prime to a la Albert Pujols or someone like that, who's this sort of a hitter. So, yeah, Vlad Jr. is great. I'd take him in the first round. He's one of the few first basemen who I also feel is he's probably the only one that I feel is transcendent in that way. Yeah, perfectly fine with him here. And I I, I think when when you you know, when you said what you guys both said about stolen bases. I'm not drafting my first baseman with stolen bases in mind anyway, but also I'm kind of like you, Brian. I'm not going to really be all that upset if I don't get a a base stealing guy in one of my first maybe two or three picks. Because I think, especially with Vladdy, when you look at, compare him with other first basemen on down the line, there were only three first basemen that had over 100, 100 runs. There were only three first basemen, or I'm sorry, there were four first basemen that had over 100 runs. There were only three first basemen that had over 100 RBIs, and he's one of two guys that gives you both, along with a 300 average, along with a 400 OBP, along with 48 home runs, and he did give you four steals. Not a ton, but it chips away at the total. I think he just does enough, and I think he gives you such an advantage at that position. I, I, I'm perfectly fine with getting him there. I, I'd, be, I'd be excited if I got him in my fourth pick. And, yeah, ultimately it's fine. I mean, no one's going to be mad if you yeah. take Guerrero at this slot in the draft. No one's going to be that mad if you take him first overall. And I should point out that these are Fantrax ratings or rankings as far as the ADP goes. You see a little bit of a difference in, say, NFBC versus Fantrax, that sort of thing. NFBC, Guerrero is the sixth overall player. Uh, so let's compare the top so many. So we've got Tatis Jr.'s first, I think, in both. Juan Soto's second on Fantrax. Uh, yeah, that's okay. But again, I think I'd rather have Trey Turner, who actually, sorry, Trey Turner's first than NFBC. 
BC. I think Turner and Tatis are consensus one, two. I think that's a totally fair thing to say. We see Jose Ramirez there, Juan Soto's up there, Bo Bichette's up there. That's an interesting decision, maybe with Bo Bichette. Maybe that's a guy I could see taking over him just because of how he performed. And like I said, he does steal. But overall, Guerrero's fine at uh, fourth overall or sixth overall, somewhere in that range. And you're going to get your value out of him, no problem. So we'll move on to maybe a slightly more interesting discussion, and that would be Freddie Freeman, our number two first baseman, currently going with pick number 20 in ADP and fan tracks. And of course, last year, Freeman, 695 plate appearances, did what he always does, 31 homers, 120 runs, just 83 RBI though, eight stolen bases and 300, 393, 503. So Freeman just continued doing what he does, Ron, but of course he's getting a little older. He's currently 32. Yeah, 30 turned 32 a few months ago, so he'll be 32 throughout this season. What do you think of Freeman at this spot as your maybe your first pick in the second round? I'm fine with it because, you know, at this point I probably either took an, I don't know if I took an elite starting pitcher in that first round, but I most likely took a guy that's going to contribute, you know, in every category. And Freddie Freeman's going to do that as well. Kind of like Vladdy, he's not going to steal you bases, but he's going to give you elite numbers everywhere else. And I think getting him at that point, I'm fine with it. I'm not concerned about him being age 32 because we've seen the consistency as far as his numbers throughout his career. We've only seen him increase, which is what you want to see. He's in the lineup every day, plays for a great organization. He's going to have protection in that lineup. I, I, I see no reason that, that you don't take him here. I don't know if he's necessarily a guy that I'm going to target at that spot, though. I don't want to say it's – I mean, I'm perfectly fine with it. There's just – I'm probably going to wait on the next guy that we're going to talk about because he's probably my favorite guy at the position, and you can get him almost 20 picks later. But I'm fine with Freddie Freeman here. I don't think you have the, any reason to be concerned with his age at all. Sure. Yeah. No problem here for me either. I will say Freeman being in the position that he is, which is 32, getting a little bit older. He did start off last year uncharacteristically off. Uh, Kind of his swing was weird. He was hitting for really low average. He fixed it. He's back to normal, but he's kind of in that no man's land and that he's not going to offer you the power quite of Guerrero or probably of the next guy we're going to talk about. But like Ron said, he's he's a very safe option across the board. I also, I typically don't wind up with very much Freeman, which uh, has been a shame, but it's kind of where he kind of winds up going in drafts. I'll be curious to see how this changes now that he's not the consensus top first baseman as he has been for a couple of years. Sure. And it's worth pointing out, of course, that he doesn't have a team. He was granted his release, yeah. because, or not his release. He didn't sign the uh, qualifying offer, so therefore he doesn't have a team as we wait out this CBA discussion. So I think a landing spot will be fairly important here if he goes to a, I don't know, a big ballpark. If he goes to St. Louis or something like that where the stadium isn't quite conducive to what he did, then okay, maybe he gets a ding. If he goes to Colorado, then oh yeah, great. Well, then he's going to get a little bit of a boost, but he's not going to Colorado. Overall, though, I think he is the ultimate team construction play and that's weird to say with your second pick in drafts but if your first pick happened to be a guy who is all power maybe a little speed but doesn't have batting average or is all speed doesn't quite have power and the batting average is okay I think Freeman's a nice pick because he is a safe batting average I think that's possibly the safest pick around this area as far as batting average goes and he will hit for enough power 31 homers this past year 38 homers in 2019 the last full season 13 and the small sample size of 2020, he has power. So I'm not too concerned about that. 
I'm kind of with you, Brian. I may not end up with him and I often don't, but I totally understand and see the opportunity where he is your first baseman. And I'm totally fine with that at pick 20. All right, let's move on to the third player on this list. It's Matt Olson, the third first baseman off the board at pick 38 overall. And Olson last year had a hell of a season, 39 home runs, 271, 371, 540, 212 total runs and RBIs combined. Uh, let's go to Br- uh, Brian first. What do you think of Matt Olson here as the number three first baseman off the board? I love Matt Olson, and going around pick 40 is a really nice spot for him because I think, I mean, I think I might rather have him than Freeman. <laughs> Just kind of straight up in terms of Olsen's career year last year, and we've we've considered him one of the better first basemen in baseball for a couple of years now, but last year was a different animal. He hit the 39 homers. He was kind of unlucky on balls and play per Babbitt. He walked more than he ever has at 13.1%, and he's always been good at it. But the big number here is his career strikeout rate which is was above 25% going into the season. 24.7% was his career best in an individual season going into last year. Last year, he was 16.8%. That's just flat out good. This isn't the Matt Olson of your who, you know, we kind of thought of as a three true outcomes guy. So if this is real, then Olson could add a little bit of batting average. And I think maybe even a little bit of power to the mix as well. So yeah, Olsen. Matt Olson, very good hitter. Yeah, like I said, probably my favorite guy on this list, the guy that I'm going to try to have at this position in any redraft I do. And if you're getting him at that 38 spot, you know, you got to think about, you know, we're talking about team construction. That's probably, depending on where you're at, that's, that could be your third round pick. And so I'm thinking if, you know, if I'm picking at that 38 pick or you even get him a couple picks later, I probably got a guy that's going to give me numbers all the way across the board. I probably got my ace starter by then. And then I get a guy with this 38th pick that put up the numbers that Brian just went over. I won't rehash that. The only thing that gives me a little concern is that that K rate, like you mentioned, Brian. But at the same time, I, I don't know necessarily if he's going to be a 270 hitter every year, but I think he's going to be right around that. I think you know there is potential for more. And he is that other guy, like I mentioned, along with Vladdy. He's the only other guy last year that gave you 100-plus runs and gave you 100 RBIs, did it for an uh, Oakland offense that is obviously not a powerhouse. A uh, lot of rumors about him being traded. I think that's yeah. going to factor in as well. You know, I called, uh, you know, one of my bold predictions for the season was he ends up on the Dodgers. I still think that could happen. Uh, it's, entering his age 27 season, entering what what a lot of people refer to as that prompt, that starting those prime years, there's a lot to be excited about with him. And I'll be surprised if you are actually able to get him at that 38th pick. I think he goes, I think that we see that ADP slowly climb, especially if he gets put in a more favorable ballpark or which is like all ballparks. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially anywhere else, but where he plays. Correct. Man, I don't know what to say on this one. There's just something I don't like about Matt Olson at this spot, but I can't put it into words. So it's hard to argue at this spot. I think it mostly just boils down to I would just rather have some of the other players going around the spot. Starling Marte is right around here. I think I would probably wind up with a hell of a lot more Starling Marte than that. There are a lot of pitchers that I would take as my ace at this spot. Lucas Giolito, Alexander Bogarts is there. It's another shortstop. Kevin Ghostman's there. I don't know. There's just something I don't like about this and the uncertainty around the playing time slash what team he's on, not playing time, but the team he's on. If he's still on Oakland, they're a horrible team. 
they're shutting that thing down. They're burning it to the ground and starting over. And I think his runs in RBI will suffer a bit. If he gets traded, well, that could be great. It could be horrible. I don't know. So I just don't like it, but I don't really have a way to tell you why. I don't like it, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's fine. I, I can't argue anything against it. So let's go ahead and move on then to the number four first baseman on the board, Paul Goldschmidt, going a couple of picks later. Well, about 13 picks later, 51 overall, Paul Goldschmidt. I think we're too wrong on this one. What do you think of Goldschmidt, who last year did what Goldschmidt does, 679 plate appearances, 31 homers, 201 total runs in RBI, 12 stolen bases, and a 294, 365, 514 slash line. So definitely resurgent resurgence from the first baseman. Is it getting comfortable in St. Louis? Is it uh, fluky? What do you think of the 34-year-old, Ron? I, I think that it's just, you know, like you said, it's doing what he does. And I think I look at him as a lot of, a lot of the same way I look at Freddie Freeman. I mean, he's a guy that he's in the lineup every day. You know you're going to get numbers in every, every counting stat category. He was able to steal double-digit bases again, which I don't think we really saw uh, that coming, especially when his last full season he only had three. He hasn't had, didn't have double digits uh, in another since 2017 up until last year. So I, I think there's – at this pick, too, I think it's fine. I, you know, you've probably gotten a pretty nice foundation for your team at this point. You're getting him, according to this ADP, 15 picks later than, than Matt Olson, And you're going to get numbers that are similar. They're a little bit less as far as in the run-producing categories. But there's definitely that threat for double-digit steals there. I mean, there's no reason to believe that he couldn't steal 8 to 12 bases again. It's possible. Who knows? I mean, obviously, the older a guy gets, the less we see – uh, you know, that stole, the stolen base stats. But I, I don't think there's any reason to to think that you're going to get a big drop off here. He plays, you know, in a, in a solid lineup. And in, in, in we only saw really that one year out of the last few in 2019 where he could dip down to 260. But we still saw all the power numbers there. We still saw the runs and RBIs there. So I, I think it's just a solid pick. And I think the value on it's it's pretty good. And I don't, I have no, just like Freddie Freeman, I have no concern about the age whatsoever. Yeah, it it Goldschmidt's 34 now. The pick makes sense for now. I think he could even he's become very underrated past his true MVP level prime because all of his seasons, not last year really, uh, but have left something to be desired, like the year he hit for less average but more power, or a year he hit for more average but less power. And then there's also a year he walked just an absolute ton. Uh so I mean there there's stuff like that that happens with Goldschmidt. Some years he steals five, some years he steals 15, <laughs> but he always does some of all of it and is elite level at some of it. So with Goldschmidt, it's kind of knowing that he is in his own way a five category contributor, especially when it comes to first base. And I think this is about the right price. I think he it's the sort of if if he were five years younger he's going higher because you're more sure he can repeat it. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think we're around after Matt Olson here as far as uh, Paul Goldschmidt. I th also, I mean, I can confidently say Goldschmidt is a hell of a safer bet as far as batting average goes. Sure, he has that one two sixty season, but if you take that out, he has yeah. averaged like 298 for the last 10 to 12 years, including last year at 294. So I if you're not getting the uh, pattern here, I'm a little more wary than I ever have been with batting average. And I think anytime you can take an opportunity to get a plus batting average guy, someone that you know is going to solidify it for you, 
is going to allow you to take more risks later on. And that's ultimately what I want to do in my draft. So I do like Goldschmidt here. I could see myself ending up with a couple of him, but also along my Matt Olson train of thought is there are a lot of people I like around here. So team construction is going to matter, what I'm looking for, that sort of thing. But overall, I agree with exactly what you guys said. I mean, he's he's going to produce because he always produces and he's kind of a freak athlete despite being 34. And I expect nothing but the same. Okay. He's got really big forearms. He sure does in a goofy stance, but he makes yeah. it work. I well, stood pretty close to him and I could tell that his arms were like the size of me, basically. <laughs> were you taller than him? That's the big question. Oh, no. Because <laughs> baseball players are like professional wrestlers. Yeah, in that he's, regard. They're he's like, a I'm big six guy. foot 20. And then they're five foot four or whatever. When I first realized it uh, with Goldschmidt, as I saw him in uh, the, his first season in St. Louis, they do like this opening day ceremony with former players and stuff. And he was talking to Jim Edmonds and they were just standing next to one another and Goldschmidt like dwarfed him. Mm, okay. so, uh, so I immediately knew like, no, this isn't because Edmonds is pretty average height. Sure. But I think that that showed me. <laughs> well, there you go. Paul Goldschmidt, large man. Well, Legit let's move on large to man. another man, another large man with big forearms. And that's Peter Alonso. Peter that's Alonso true. going nine picks later at pick 60 as the fifth first baseman off the board. We're going to go to you first, Brian. Obviously, he burst onto the scene in 2019 with 53 home runs and nearly 700 plate appearances. Last year, well, I should say 2020 didn't quite live up to the huge power numbers, although still good. And then last year with the Mets, still 152 games, 637 plate appearances, 37 home runs. Still pretty good, but not quite in the 50s like it was previously. And a 262, 344, 519 slash, which is pretty consistent. So what do you think overall of Pete Alonso here? Is this a first baseman you take if you're looking for the things he provides? I have no problem taking Alonzo if, as we've been saying over and over, if roster construction demands it, because we've talked a lot about being wary of batting average guys, of guys who struggle to make contact. Alonzo, everyone, after he came out of the gate with 53 homers in his rookie season, sort of said like, oh, just wait, this guy's going to hit 180 next year or whatever. And he did struggle the next season. But he's made the necessary adjustments. He struck out under 20% barely last year, which is incredible from uh, kind of what his profile looked like a couple years ago. So kind of like Olsen, we've seen him refine his approach enough to cut the strikeouts to where I don't know that he's the liability in batting average that everybody in your league might think he is, for instance. I think uh, what Alonso did last year is more his true talent level than either the 50 homer rookie year or the COVID year, I think him hitting 250, 260 with some seasons where he approaches like 50 homers again, uh, maybe this year, might be the year after. I mean, he's only 26, but he has that kind of power. I think looking at him as a guy who hits for low, but not craterous average and, and 35 plus homers. Not a lot to add to that. I'm fine with him at, pick 60 where his ADP says he is. And I think that when you look at what his streamer projection is for 2020, 42 homers, 93 runs, 111 RBIs, 258, 349, 534. I think that's about where you see his career season averages pan out when he retires. I think that's about what you're going to get out of him. And I think those are fine numbers. It's the first guy that we've seen that really kind of gives you, I don't want to say a huge drop off in batting average, but when you compare it to the Freemans and the Goldschmidt's of the world, Matt Olson, what he did last year, it does drop off a little bit. Easy for me to say. 
And mm -hmm. so it's one of these things where, yet, you know, yet again, Brian, you said it. It just depends on what else you've drafted. I also want to see how those pieces that the Mets signed in the offseason mesh into that lineup and if they can get something going offensively. You know, they got Francisco Lindor, ended up being a huge disappointment last year. You know, they've, they've signed a couple guys this offseason. They were one of the main, the main teams that went out and tried to make a splash, and they definitely did that in the short amount of uh, offseason signings that we had. If they can get on base and, and protect him in the lineup a little bit, you know, we could very well see that average creep up a little bit. We could see that home run total creep up near 50 a little bit, that RBI total creep up, because I think that's something that's going to hurt you if you're getting a guy that's hitting you 40 homers, but he's not giving you the runs and RBIs. It doesn't really match up. So I think that they're doing things in New York to try to get things around him and guys on base. I think it, that's going to be the biggest thing that's going to impact his numbers this season. Jeff Zimmerman talked about the batting average floor, and I, I don't remember the exact specifics of it, but it was essentially the batting average you need to shoot for to not be in last for batting average. Yeah. And it was 245, and that's a number I always <laughs> think of. So anything above 245 is essentially plus. And Pete, Al Al Pete Alonso, to me, is a 260 hitter. I fully buy into that. I don't think there's upside, but I also don't think there's downside. I, I don't buy yeah. the 231. That was a small sample size. But I do think he's a 260 hitter, and that is a considered plus batting average. I would have not thought age. that two years ago mm -hmm. that I would be saying that because, as, and I've always liked Alonzo, but I I was willing to kind of accept like, oh, uh, this guy most years hits 238. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, I don't think so. I think he is a 260 hitter now, and he provides that power. So like you guys said, this is a team construction thing. I think Ron hit on something pretty interesting, which is the the lineup construction around him and scoring runs and RBIs because 637 plate appearances and 175 runs and RBIs combined is not good compared to what mm -hmm. we've seen. And I mean, I've been talking to people with over 200 and sure that's first three, four rounds or whatever, but it's not as good as you would kind of expect out of a guy like this who arguably would be your the Mets' three hitter, their big bopper in the lineup. So maybe it gets it's better. It's one of those hopefully. things, like that's one of the things about, about lineup construction that I mean, you almost can't draft for it no, because you, mm -hmm. you have to just hope that the organization, first off, has the right people in place and that the manager understands to put high OBP guys in front of the middle of the order. And for some reason, even in 2022, not a universal concept. No, and I think that's a team thing. Like you, when you're when you're factoring that in, you have to look at the team you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, the Cardinals are usually fairly smart about that. Maybe I can do that. The Mets are not. The Mets are a stupid organization. You just don't know what they'll do. So you <laughs> cannot play a bank on that. You can't go, okay, well, the Mets lineup is better, so clearly he'll have better. Maybe that's the case, and you can play on the upside of it, but you can't factor it in for sure. So there we go, Pete Alonso. Let's move on to the number sixth first baseman on the list. Jose Abreu, who's been doing this for quite a while now, 72nd overall off of the board, and I lost my window. There we go. Let's see. Last year, did what he does, 659 plate appearances, 30 homers, 100 and 203 runs in RBI combined. See, there you go. He had over 200 compared to Alonso. Just one steal and a 261, 351, 481 slash I think we're to Brian first on this one. We saw a little bit of a dip in batting average, but he has hit 260 in the past. Of course, a little bit of a lower BABIP. Overall, what do you see out of the now 34-year-old Abreu coming in this year? And actually, he'll be 35 when and if opening day starts. I think with Abreu, the big outlier was obviously 2020, which is his MVP, not even quite half season in the the covid year which he he torched the ball but that's not who he really 
100% is. He's a very, very good hitting first baseman. I expect the batting average to bounce back a bit. I could see him hitting 280 again easily. I think he's a very safe bet for something in that 280, 30, 100 range. And honestly, at pick 72, that is very acceptable. If you find yourself without a first baseman and like where your team's at, he's not going to crush you in anything but steals, and you're probably not drafting those out of first anyway. Yeah, another guy that I'm oh, I'm, I'm just fine with at this, this spot, I mean, you're getting him at pick 72. And, you know, when you look at the lineup around him, it's kind of the opposite of what I said with the Mets lineup. When you look at this lineup, if this thing pans out, the way that they think it could in opening day, it could be a really potent lineup, and he's right in the middle of it hitting third. And you've got Anderson Moncada hitting, a, and I'm looking at roster resource right now, hitting ahead of him. You've got Grandal behind him. You've got Luis, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez. You've got Andrew Vaughn, who's going to be probably coming off the bench or might even get slotted in at first base. You move a Brio to DH or vice versa. There's a lot around him that I think can really protect him and really kind of bump up those RBI numbers him but yeah you, I think you saw w- with his MVP season in that COVID season I think you saw a classic case of uh, a guy getting hot for a right just the right amount of time because it was a 60 game sample and he was able to do that not say that he's not not say that he's not a great hitter he's not a good power guy he's not a, a run producer because he definitely is all those things but he's not a 317 hitter as his career average says it is 290 which is impressive but that's still a pretty big gap between those two numbers so Another guy I'm not concerned about the age, but I do love the lineup and the potential for that lineup around him. He's yeah, also a guy, a, a guy who I would I would more willingly bet on slugging under 500 than over 600, yeah, <laughs> like he did in sure. his MVP year. Well, with him here, it's an interesting career arc. I think the two times he hit 260, you can see that the BABIP was in the 290s, and every yeah. other year, which is a lot more than just the two. He's been like a 320-plus BABIP guy, 350 in 2020, which has led to what led to that 317 average. So that tells me that there's probably bounce back coming, and he is closer mm. to maybe his career average of 290, maybe even a little bit more. However, I can see that Steamer, the projection system, really doesn't like him. It says 258, and he's never hit less than 265. He, so I noticed weird. this as well, and I have to think it's because, I mean, turning 35, the age stuff, starts to come into play with most projection systems also, or like before that even, but you know, the arc of his career, whether it's true for Bray or not at this point, that type of hitter typically doesn't age well. That's true, but I also don't buy it because I don't nothing either. else changed. That's yeah. the other thing about him. He still hit 30 home runs. He still drove in a ton of runs. He still essentially played every day. I mean, <clears throat> I like him. I think this is a great slot to take uh, a first baseman if it fits your team construction. And I'm going to say that every single time we talk about a first baseman because it's very team construction. Maybe not next. But, but yeah, maybe not next. But uh, let's see. Yeah, you know, right around that spot. There's no one Arenado. Well, I like him if you're looking for a third baseman who gets you some power. The pitchers I don't quite like as much. There are a few. Overall, I do like, uh, what's his name here? Jose Abreu at number six <laughs> as the sixth first baseman off the board. So overall, it's fine. I, I would never set out to be like, I'm going to draft Jose Abreu here. But if it happens, it happens. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll continue discussing first baseman.
Welcome back to the show. I'm Van Lee alongside Ron Riggy and Brian Vaughn. And we're talking first baseman on today's episode. And we are all the way to Chris Bryant, the number seven first baseman off the board at pick 94 overall. Bryant last year, of course, was traded from the Cubs to the Giants. And overall on the season had 586 plate appearances, 25 homers, 10 steals, and a 265, 353, 481 slash line. Ron, where do you first in trademark Bryant fashion? He still walked a ton, had some power, but maybe not elite power, and stole some bases. Overall, doesn't have a team. We don't know where he'll end up. But what do you think of Chris Bryant at this slot? Uh, I mean, it's not terrible, but I think this is probably the first guy that I don't really have any interest in. And it really doesn't have anything to do with draft slot or not, I just don't, I, I, well, I guess it kind of does because I look down this list and I see guys around pick f- like 15 to 20 range uh, or ADP uh, as far as, or I should say as far as rank for 15 to 20 from first base that I think I can get similar stats from uh, with Chris Bryant. Now there's, there's potential that he could get back to, you know, hitting uh, for over driving in a hundred runs. There's in unity. He did steal ten bases last year. He does walk a ton. All the things that you said, but I just feel like at this spot, he just doesn't really do enough to warrant this draft slot, especially later on with some of the value that I can get. So I think this is the first guy that I'm probably going to stay away from. I definitely get that, and I have that feeling too. And I think it is kind of where the pick is because there's nothing like objectionable about Bryant. He also qualifies at third and outfield, which is nice. Uh, the steals are cool, but you're not getting any sort of dominant category from him. And he's not, you don't necessarily feel as safe about the outcome as you do some of the guys ahead of him. Because since the MVP start to his career, you don't really know for sure what sort of value Bryant's going to provide. It's not like he's ever been terrible, but he's far from a star at this point, And I just don't know if I want to be taking him like in the eighth round. I think this is one of the most team construction-based picks you could make. I think that versatility helps him, third base, first base, outfield, and both first base and outfield are dreadful. So I think having that little bit of a boost there gives him a little bit of an edge in that regard. I think he is a 25 to 30 home run hitter, depending on how many plate appearances he gets. Back in 2019, 31 home runs and 634 that's fine. Just the 25 last year, so the power output was down a bit. He was also in San Francisco, where they platoon, where it's hard to hit home runs, on and on and on. I don't think you can count on those stolen bases. He had 10 last year, just four in 2019, zero in the shortened 2020 season. I think it depends on where he ends up, but ultimately, I think his steamer projection is maybe light on batting average, but okay everywhere else. I don't know. Actually, they really don't like him. 614 plate appearances, 23 homers, 7 steals, 251. 343, 445. I think he's better than that. Yeah, I do too. I think that's unreasonably harsh, and I don't know why it's being that harsh, but I do see why a lot of people wouldn't wind up with him on your team. But if you're drafting every single offensive player on your team as someone who gives you a little contribution across the board, I don't have a 50 home run hitter, but I have everybody who's going to hit 280, steal a couple of bases. I think Bryant fits right into that role. And again, the added versatility helps a little bit in the case of injuries. So maybe I'm more inclined to take him in a 15-team league than a 12-team league because 12-team leagues, you can find a replacement a hell of a lot easier. So you want superstardom at every spot, whereas in a 15-league, you don't quite have that benefit. But overall, it's fine. I don't have quite a few problems with it. Pick 94 overall. Yeah, that's fine. 
All right, let's move on to the next guy on this list. Maybe we're a little more excited about him. It's Max Muncy, the eighth first baseman off the board at four picks later, pick 98. Muncy last year with the Dodgers. Boy, I've said this a lot. Did what he does. 592 plate appearances, 36 home runs, two steals, 249, 368, 527. So, Brian, we do not have a batting average plus here, but we have a ton of power and a guy who walks a ton. So, overall, what do you think of uh, Max Muncy at this spot? Is he maximum Muncy or is he minimum Muncy here? He's somewhere in between, I think. I mean, and he's a player I really like, and I didn't at the start of his career. I thought he was a bit of a flash in the pan, but he's not. This is what he does. He walks a ton, somewhere in that 15% range even. And his last three full seasons, he's hit 35 or more home runs. I mean, that's real at this point. And he even with missing a few games because of how the Dodgers kind of like to rotate people in and out, keep people fresh when they can. He also qualifies as second. And as you said, Van, other than steals, the only knock on him is batting average. If you're in an OBP league, there's no knock at all because of the walks. I mean, this is the first baseman you want. And if you're in a batting average league, yeah, he's going to hit 240, but it's the kind that's safe because he does have a job. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with him here. I mean, I, 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 he's a guy that I definitely I like what he does at this spot. It's just not a guy that I don't find myself um, when I draft having a lot of shares of, and and he's consistent. I mean, you know, he's going to hit you somewhere in the middle of right in this in, in mid 30 home run range. You know, he's going to hit about 250. And like you said, Van, he did what he does, and you know what he's going to do. And you could do a lot worse here. I feel a little bit better about this. I I would wait on him. And, and let people take Chris Bryant ahead of him and the four picks later, I'd be perfectly fine with Max Muncy. I don't know when, I don't know how it shakes out in a lot of leagues. I don't know if he still has that multi-position eligibility that made him uh, so versatile for those couple of years. I know one year he was eligible first, second and third, which was really nice, but he, you know, he walks a ton, strikes out a little bit, but it doesn't kill you. But I, I think overall, you know, right around pick 100 here, I'd be okay with Max Muncy. He played 122 games at first last year, 39 at second base. So he's at the very least first and second base eligible. And again, that's huge. I think you're drafting him likely as a second baseman. I Well, you know, I say that, but first base is maybe a little bit of a black hole. So you might take him as your first baseman, and I'm fine if you take him as your first baseman. But overall, that added versatility helps a lot. I honestly think he's probably worth 20 to 25 spots in ADP if he were healthy. He has a torn UCL that he's repabbing, and we haven't heard news about it. Now, that's not the death sentence it is for pitchers, likely, but as a hitter, particularly one who doesn't really throw the ball a whole lot if he's playing first base, it's not that big of a deal. But still, if he misses time at the beginning of the year, that's going to eat into it. I think the big thing with him is even in just 592 plate appearances, arguably not a full season, he had 189 runs in RBI. He's on one of the best teams in baseball, and I think he is a stat filler. And like Brian said, he's he's a 249 hitter, and I think he does that. And that's right on the cusp of, uh, I can't take a batting average less than that. But he is a 249 hitter, and he's going to do that. I don't think he hits 235. I'm perfectly confident he can hit what he does if he's playing. I think he's one that wins, and if spring training starts, if he's playing baseball, I think he'll jump up a little bit. But otherwise, this is kind of a hedge bet spot. If he's hurt, he probably should go 50 picks later. If he's healthy, he probably should go a few picks earlier. Overall, I like him a lot here, but that all depends on health. And again, team construction. Okay, we have moved past maybe the, maybe not elite players, but the more solid first baseman. And we're getting into the more question mark guys here. 
Number nine is Kyle Schwarber, of course, first baseman with the uh, Boston Red Sox last year. He had some absolute monster bits and pieces of the season where he was crushing like 15 home runs in a span of 12 days or five days or something. Overall in the season, 471 plate appearances, 32 home runs, 266, 374, 554. Brian, the big problem I see with uh, Schwarber here is that we not only have the big performances in recent memory, we also have some absolutely horrible performances in recent memory. So overall, who is the real Kyle Schwarber to you? And do you think you would take him at this slot despite, I think, not having a team still? Yeah, he also doesn't have a team either. So the thing with Schwarber, he's at 114, so he's a little further back. I've never had Schwarber, and I, I wouldn't wind up with him, I don't think, here. But I I will say this about him, even though he strikes out a lot, he's about 29 years old. He's right in the middle of his prime. He's made improvements, and he's kind of proven himself at Kyle Schwarbering. Like, even if you don't like him, he's got three 30 homer seasons at this point and another with 26. If he gets the at-bats, he's going to hit them. And the real question is, is he going to be able to hit 270 for me, or is he going to hit the 237 that he's hit in his career? And I think until we get more to go on, we have to assume he's going to hit closer to that 237. And if I'm going to get a player who, I mean, I'd rather have Max Muncie 18 picks ahead who does this skill set so much better uh, than Schwarber. But if you if you do need home runs at this point, uh, Schwarber's going to hit him if he plays. Yeah, like what you said about Max Muncy there, you know, he is better at this skill set than, than Schwarber is for sure. And I, I just haven't seen enough. When you look at that 266 average, and that, that that's that's the outlier. outlier. It sticks out. You don't see a lot of seasons that are comparable to that throughout his career. And I don't think I've been high on Kyle Schwarber since he moved from catcher. I mean, obviously, his these skills at catcher would make him yeah. the, probably top catcher off the board. I don't think there's any question about that. He'd be right there with Salvi Perez. And I, I think that it's just something where, I mean, he is outfield eligible too, so that gives you a little bit of something there. But like you said, Van, we don't know where he's going to play. We don't know how that's going to affect him. But if, if you, like you said also, Brian, if you do need the homers I, at, at this point and you feel like you have to get it here, that's fine. But I just feel like there's guys later on that you can get similar numbers for, kind of like Chris Bryant. Maybe not the home run totals, but I can find a guy, uh, you know, it, it, it probably, you know, 30, 40 picks later that can get me around 80 runs, around 80 RBIs with the same average. He might only hit me 25 homers instead of 35, but <laughs> I feel com- more comfortable about getting the, the similar stats in those other categories and maybe sacrificing a few homers later on. I will tell you where or how Kyle Schwarber can provide awesome value, and that is if out of this current CBA we get a an NLDH. If that yeah. happens, mm-hmm. that opens up a lot more opportunities for plate appearances him for him, and I think he could be a, a pretty good buy at this spot. As of right now, we don't have that, and I think he's a bad buy at this spot because of that, because the difference between him and Muncie is that Muncie is passable at several positions. Schwarber is atrocious at every position, and I think, honestly, with the way teams are run now, with Schwarber not having a job, I could see this. Let's say they sign the CBA in five days and we have a normal spring training and they still have no NLDH and that sort of thing. I could see Schwarber going unsigned because he is just a bat. And teams do not value that anymore unless it's Nelson Cruz or a homegrown guy that they've had. And now that we've kind of seen him move on from the Cubs and Washington and all these different teams, 
I could see him just not having a job at all for a while just because of how bad he is defensively and that he still runs the risk of being a batting average suck and not providing that kind of value. So I'll pass. This is not a pick I'm going to be make in uh, very many leagues. Okay, that's the first nine. Let's move on to number 10. And it's a show favorite because of his name, Ryan Mountcastle. At number 10, pick a 128 overall, a first baseman off the board. Let's see what Mountcastle did last year. 5,886 plate appearances. The power showed up. 33 home runs, four steals, 255, 309, 487. I think we're to Ron on this one. Ron, I have professed that I tend not to like batters who just don't ever walk. And although he has a 7% walk rate the last couple of years, it's just not good. And I think that leaves open uh, some room, not much room for error. Is that a fair statement? Overall, what do you see out of Mountcastle here for the Orioles at uh, the 10th first baseman off the board? I think it's absolutely a fair statement. And when you see that guy with the 27% K rate and he doesn't have a walk rate that's double digits to eat into some of that, I think that's always something that I'm, I'm right with you on as far as not taking the walks. It's only 7%, like you said, only translated to a 309 OBP last year. I mean, the, the home run totals are there. We saw it in the minors. We saw him, you know, become a top prospect. And I, I you know, I think that we see, there's no reason to think that we don't see the 30 homers, but that lineup is abysmal. The only there, there's another guy that's that's first base eligible on the same team, Trey Mancini, that I like a lot later. That I think you know yet again is a little bit better value for what he can probably give you for a lot of reasons. I just don't see myself getting this guy in a, in a lot of spots either. I mean, he's very similar to he is a little bit similar to similar to Kyle Schwarber though. Kyle Schwarber walks a little bit more, but you can get a guy with similar you know off. It's going to give you similar stats. Fourteen picks later, so if that's what you're looking for, I think this is the better bet, but. It's another guy, you know, this is kind of starting to get in the stretch of guys that I'm probably not going to target. And he'd have to fall a little bit for me to feel comfortable taking him. But I'm still with you on that, on, on that van. That 309 OBP is a little bit concerning. I don't have a whole lot to add to what you guys said. I don't really like hitters like this who are swinging a lot of stuff, guys. It just kind of power, but not elite power. Average, but not elite average and and never draws a walk. They tend to be guys who really need a lot of plate appearances to rack up those counting stats. So yeah, I'm just not excited about Mount Castle largely because there are guys who, you know, at age 25 have that season and I'm really excited for what that means with Mount Castle. I think this is just kind of the hitter he is. Yeah, pretty much not much to add to that at all. I buy absolutely everything you said, probably not someone I'm going to draft at this spot. So moving on to our number 11 first baseman off the board. It's another multiple position player. It's DJ DJ himself, DJ LeMayhew. That's right, DJ DJ himself, the going with pick 128 in fantasy baseball drafts. And I did not pull up his page, but basically he had a horrible, horrible season last year after rattling off several seasons where he hit for average, hit for power, stole a couple of bases. Last year, just 10 home runs in his 679 plate appearances, 268 batting average, but he's still on the Yankees. He's still on a very, very good team. He's just, what, 32, 33 years old. So maybe there's a bounce back to be had here. What do you think, Brian? Nope. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, as far as LeMahieu goes for me, I don't ever want to have a first baseman where there's the chance that he slugs 360 over a full season. Like that, I don't want that to be a possibility. And and LeMahieu at this point is no longer the safe batting average bet he once was. We can't resolutely say that right now. 
He's also no longer a guy who steals bases. He really hasn't been for five years or so. And I just don't want anything to do with him here. I don't know what value he's giving you when, even with a bounce back, I don't think we're seeing a bounce back to 2019 or, or even like his abbreviated 2020. I think at this age, it's more likely we see like 2018 where he hits for a little more average and hits 15 homers, but it's, it's not a good value. pick. I, I just don't think that. Yeah. I just don't think that it's something where you, where you're looking at, you know, we look at first base as a place to kind of make up home runs and RBI. And I feel like if you're drafting DJ LeMahieu as your starting first baseman, you're going in the opposite direction <laughs> and you're having to compensate for for that in other places, which is not really how you, you're, you're going to build your roster. But, but a guy last year that had 10 homers and 57 RBIs, and he and in in previous seasons, you know, he said his RBI total was always in the 60s, and in the the home run total, except for that one year, is between 10 and 15. So that's not what I'm looking for out of my first baseman. Uh, it'd be different if he stole you a bunch of bases at first. He doesn't do that either. I just, you know, I I, I mean, I guess I could see maybe making an argument if you think there's going to be a bounce back in average and OBP. I just don't see it to the level that I want this guy as my starting first baseman. I will completely disagree with you guys. I like DJ LeMay here, and partly why I like him here is because he's not my first baseman. He's my second baseman. 83 games at second base, 55 at first base, 39 at third base. He can play all over the the infield. I think something was wrong. I think he was hurt. He had uh, a sports hernia surgery over the offseason, so I think there's a reason everything tanked to the level it did. And I mean, even when he was doing what he did last year he played every day essentially 150 games maybe not every day but enough and I just believe that he still walked he still didn't strike out a ton I think he's back to hitting close to 300 I think yeah we're not going to see 26 home runs again like he hit in 2019 but I think 15 to 20 home runs is on the table and at second base a plus batting average okay power and excellent runs in RBIs because he's going to be in again one of the best lineups in baseball at the Yankees is something I will absolutely take. So take so as a first baseman, maybe not as exciting. Maybe if you have him as a second baseman, you have another second baseman, and your first baseman gets hurt. Okay, then I understand him at first base. But overall, he's going to going to be a second baseman for me, and I like him at this spot at pick one twenty eight. So hey, a little bit of dis- disagreement there between yeah, us. I like dissension that. in the ranks. <laughs> All right, let's see where we at time-wise. We're running a little long, so let's start lumping a couple of guys together here. Let's go 12 through 15, and we can discuss whoever we want. We have the 12th first baseman off the board is Jared Walsh. 13th is Reese Hoskins. 14th is Joey Votto. And 15th is CJ Crone. And I will read those names as well as their overall ADP as well. Jared Walsh, 134. Reese Hoskins, 146. Joey Votto, also 146 and C.J. Crone at 156. So of these four guys, Brian, do any of them stand out to you as someone you'd like to draft? Sure. So I wouldn't mind Crone, actually, at 156, the last guy on this list. Who, he's in Colorado and really, really caught fire down the stretch last year. Wound up hitting 281, 375, 530. All of those are career highs. <laughs> That's what Coors Field will do for you. Missed a little time and still hit 28 home runs. So I think you could even regress that a little bit. And I mean, you're getting a better first baseman than some of the guys above him on the list. I don't think it's hard for me to ever say he hits 280 because I just don't necessarily see Crone as that sort of a hitter. 
I'd also like to briefly mention Votto only in saying that, man, did that guy seem kind of left for dead in terms of going back to his peak years. And he didn't quite go back to that, but he hit 266, 375, 563 with 36 homers last year. If he is this committed to that sort of a power approach and Votto's a very committed guy, I think you could also make an argument that him at 146 could wind up being a very good pick if he comes close to replicating that again. Yeah, I think we started to get to get into territory too where you're not sure what you're going to get. Like Joey Votto, you know, I don't I don't know what I'm going to get out of him and, and like you said Brian it could end up being a great great value. One of the guys that I look at first that you're getting, you know, I, I talked about Chris Bryant and when you look a little bit later on guys that you can get similar numbers for from, I think much later, I think Reese Hoskins is that first guy that you could maybe get something similar. Now I know the batting average is going to be a little bit better from Chris Bryant, not much though, but it's going to be a little bit better, but the OBP is going to be comparable. I think the home run total and the RBI total and the, and the runs total is going to be very comparable with Reese Hoskins to save you a little bit of money as well. And CJ Cron, obviously, too. I'm not. I, I wouldn't be all that upset getting him at this spot. I, and and for all the reasons you said, Brian, he plays in cores. But also, there's not a lot behind him to push him out of that spot either. If he's healthy, he's going to be the first baseman there in Colorado. And just Todd you know, Helton. We, uh, well, you know, you never know with with the way that they run that organization. That could be something they've got on the radar. We'll see. <laughs> um, but I, I'm fine with him there. You know, age 32. Yet again, I'm not too worried about that. But when he's healthy, he's going to hit you bombs in cores. I think Jared Walsh is probably the one of this group that probably will hit for batting average. He seems like a safe bet to be 275 plus, hit 277 last year, although he doesn't quite have the power. Plays for the Angels, so if Otani and Trout and Co. are healthy, then okay, the runs and RBIs are going to be great. But if those guys aren't healthy, maybe not quite as exciting. Madden likes to play his guys, so I think as long as Walsh is healthy, healthy, he will play every day. Hoskins is the one of this group I just don't want anything to do with. There's just no upside. He's just never quite lived up to what we expect. And for a guy that I don't think is going to play enough games to get to 30 home runs because he's always hurt or something just doesn't pan out. And someone who is that 245 on batting average and there's not much upside there, I just don't really have interest in it. Votto, I think, is now this as long as he plays baseball. and As long hurt. as his body works. As long as his body works. <laughs> I think he's going to do this. So I like it. I, and you can see that there's that pessimism baked in to the overall pick 146 mm-hmm. but and he's 30 years old so i get it but i also think he's one of the smartest guys in baseball i think he's talented i think he works hard and i think he trains hard so i do believe that if he's healthy he'll do this so if you can afford the risk of losing a guy for half a season or whatever it may be i think Votto's a great pick yeah because that line from last year is max muncie Mm-hmm. And, and 50 picks later. Exactly. Yes. And I mean, I think some people might He's go, not going to probably upside. do that. I don't think there's upside here. I think no, this is it. That's best. what you're but. hoping for. I wanted to say something about Walsh real quick. Do you know, Van, as the, the resident Angel fan, has there been talk about never letting that man face a left-handed pitcher ever again? Because... Oh, no. They just <laughs> let him do it. If you would... I, I would like to read his split as a left-handed batter last year in almost 200 plate appearances, <laughs> 170, 208, 357. That's his triple slash. If you could sit him against lefties and pair him with a lefty masher guy, you would have an awesome first baseman. 
Mm -hmm. And I think that's partly the Angels having everyone be hurt and just being like, eh, whatever, let's just play. But the Angels are the Angels. They do that. They don't like to play with platoons. This isn't the Rays. This isn't the Giants or the Athletics. I think if he were on the Giants, he would be an an amazingly valuable player. He'd hit 330 because he's just batting against right-handers all the time for how much they platoon. But no, I think he'll still play a lot against lefties, and that's obviously not a good thing. But the overall line, still I just good. wondered if that was even like a, a rumbling because it didn't <laughs> no. seem like they even thought about it. Announcers don't talk about it. Madden doesn't talk about it. Madden's for all for ten years ago. Madden <laughs> was like the advanced guy, like the smartest guy. Now, if we look at him, he's so old school with things he does. He likes his closers, so he's yeah. going to stick with a guy no matter what. That sort of thing. Oh, and then lastly, before I finish here, CJ Crone, I think should probably be going 30 picks higher than this. I think this is an ultimate steal. And one thing I do like to do is I like to compare and contrast Fantrax ADP to NFBC ADP. And I'm not saying NFBC players are super smart and the best at whatever, but they do tend to have a lot more money involved with them, particularly at this time of year. So I think it's a good exercise to see the difference. Crone is going with like pick 118 in NFC yeah. leagues. It's going with pick 160 here, 156. So that's a big buy right there. Colorado doesn't have anyone to replace him. He's, as long as healthy, is going to be good. So I think that's a steal at this spot. All right. Um, of these next five guys, I'll list their names off and just pick one to talk about, and then we'll move on to our best buys. So Josh Bell is at 16, Ty France at 17, Anthony Rizzo at 18, Nate Lowe at 19, and action superstar Trey Mancini at 20. Their ADP is Josh Bell 165, Ty France 190, Anthony Rizzo 197, Nate Lowe 205, and action superstar Trey Mancini 207. Let's go to you first, Brian. Of these five guys, who do you like? Well, this is really simple since he's the first guy on this list, but my favorite out of the group by a pretty good margin, I think, is Josh Bell, who has confused all of us for a while, kind of seeming to break out and then floundering right after he does it. He's 29 now. I don't think he's going to like turn into a superstar, but he does seem to have locked himself in as a dependable first baseman. His strikeout and walk numbers are very good. He doesn't strike out a ton. In the second half, he actually walked more than he struck out and slugged over 500. Did not have a platoon split like he did in the in the past. He's a switch hitter. I think he's the sort of fun pick who could kind of do a late delayed for real breakout. Uh, Again, I don't think he's going to be a star, but where you kind of accept, oh, Josh Bell, that is a guy who can annually hit 280 with 30 home runs or something like that. So Josh Bell. This is a range where I like a lot of these guys. There's only a couple here I don't, but I'm going to focus on Trey Mancini. I mentioned him earlier when we were talking about Ryan Mountcastle, and I think there's a lot of of possibility here for a really big bounce back. You know, we, we with Trey Mancini, 2019, 291, 364, 535, 35 homers, 97 RBIs, 106 runs. Doesn't strike out a ton. He's right around that 20% mark, so it's not going to kill you. Walking just under 10%. But you got to remember also the guys coming off of having battled cancer and uh, in, in, in come back in 2021. And so it's, 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 I think it's kind of, you know, par for the course with something like that to see those numbers dip the way they did. But still, 21 homers, 77 runs 71 RBIs the average and everything was down a little bit I think you see him bounce back a little bit and you know he's another year removed from that you know there could be something to you know maybe traveling you know a full season kind of took a toll as well but I think when you when you talk about a guy that's battled something like that and he's you know now a couple of years removed from that 
you know, he's got a, another offseason under his belt. I, I, I don't like the lineup, obviously, around him, but I think you see the home run totals go up. I think you see everything across the board go up. And, and for pick, uh, let me find where he's at here. Trey 207. 207. I, I think there's really a lot to like here, and I think there's a really huge potential here for a nice, uh, nice little comeback season from Trey Mancini. I think Josh Bell's probably the big one of this group that I like the most, but I won't touch on him since uh, Brian already did. Don't you touch I, on Josh Bell. I won't. Although Ron and I were involved in a, dy- a prestigious Dynasty Dynasty Baseball League trade that, oh boy, <laughs> for a while looked terrible. I traded Ron Nicholas Castellanos, who became the best hitter in the history of the world, <laughs> for Josh Bell, who after trading for Josh Bell, he had that horrible season. But it's yeah. not looking as bad as it once did. I sure wish I held on to Castellanos. I think that could look even after this year. It could if mm-hmm. Bell does what he could do. I mean, not. Sure. I'm not saying it will happen that way, but it could. No. See, now <laughs> I have to go back and look at what I flipped Nick Castellanos into and see if it ended up working out for me or not. There you go. Look into it. So yeah. I like Bell a lot there. I, will, I like Mancini, actually, a whole lot where he's going. And then the one I want to highlight is Anthony Rizzo because it seems like no one cares about Anthony Rizzo anymore. And I get that he struggled a little bit. 222 batting average in 2020, 248 batting average last year. 2020, we can write off if we want to because it's the the you know the uh, pandemic season. 2021, last year, it's a little harder to write off, but he did deal with injury issues and some other issues that I'm not privy to talk about. I, I can actually say that. Maybe I'll tell you guys after we're done. But ultimately, I buy him having a bit more of a resurgence in being what he was which is a 25 to 30 home run hitter who drives and runs, scores some runs, and steals a couple of bases for a potential 270-plus batting average. I think he bounces back to that region, and hes I don't think he's still with the Yankees. No, he's a free agent, so that does depend on where he goes. But for this slot in a draft pick, 197, almost 200, I like him a lot there. So this is kind of what I mentioned at the top of the show. If I don't get one of the early guys because I am focusing on stolen bases or starting pitching, whatever it may be, there are so many guys here that I like for a couple different reasons that I am perfectly comfortable taking Anthony Rizzo and Trey Mancini and building a first baseman out of it and seeing what happens and being perfectly happy with that. So that's what I would want to say about this spot. So let's go ahead and shift into our overall choices here. Let's talk our best buys. Ron, who is the first baseman you are most likely to own a lot of this season? Well, I'm going to go a couple different ways here real, real quick with it. Um, I'm going to target Matt Olson everywhere I possibly can. Uh, I love what he does across the board. I think it's going to be more the same entering his age 27 season. Uh, hopefully he gets traded to a better ballpark, better situation. And then uh, Trey Mancini, is, is if I'm going to wait or if I need a corner infielder later on, the 20th guy off the board, I think he's got, of anybody on this list, I think he's got just as much, probably the most, bounce back potential yet another guy wish he played in a, in a better lineup I maybe he could get traded as well who knows but I love that pick at 207 uh for me I really like the the 15 16 range the CJ Crone and and Josh Bell range as my favorite values in the draft I think you could get a lot better production out of those guys than where they're going if I'm not like Ron said if I'm in a position early where I'm I'm taking Vladimir or something, then yeah, that's fine. Because I'm never going to not like those stats out of any place I draft them. <laughs> and yeah, I don't have much different to say than you guys here. I listed four names because they're all in this range that I like. It's CJ Crone, it's uh, Josh Bell, it's Joey Votto, 
And, well, one more name that I'll say for later. But those are three guys that I think you could really build a team out of and really have some good fortune with with uh, getting surplus value, which I think is important because they do provide something in their regard. So yeah, that's definitely where I'll stay. I likely won't, whereas you guys might be more likely to take one of those first basemen earlier. I won't be. I'm a little bit of the opposite of that, but I think we're still in the same boat of if we don't end up with one of those guys, this is probably where you now should you can be wait. when you're looking yeah. at them. So who is your bad buy? Who is the first baseman that you really don't want any part of, Brian? Kind of to the point you just said, you segued into it really nicely because it's that little section of Schwarber, Mount Castle, and DJ DJ for me. I don't, that's the part of the draft where it's like, I, I, there's too, either too much risk or I just don't like the skill set enough for where they're going. Cause those guys are all kind of going in that, that 114 to 128 range. And that just seems, it feels a little early for what those guys are going to provide versus the risk they also carry. I think the main one for me is going to be Chris Bryant just because I don't feel like for giving up a top 100 pick, I mean, I know he's got the most position eligibility. We don't know where he's playing, but I just I don't feel like I'm getting enough for that pick, and I feel like I can get comparable value even in some cases up to almost 100 picks later. You know, like I said, if the things break right with Trey Mancini, we didn't talk about Nate Lowe. There's a couple guys there at the at right around 20 that I feel like, you know, in the pick 200s, I can get similar numbers might be a slight drop off but it's going to be similar to what chris bryant's going to give me and i said of course kyle schwarber for all the reasons i said earlier so i'm going to give you a couple more names just to to to, you know reiterate that i really don't care for them reese hoskins again i was a reese hoskins believer for a long time and it just doesn't happen so that means it likely will happen this season but overall there's just nothing i want to do with reese hoskins at that point there's a lot more i'd rather have wait 10 picks later and get cj crone I think that's just so much better. And then you just talked uh, on uh, Nate Lowe, Ron. I don't know why anyone's drafting Nate Lowe. He's pretty bad. Strikes out too much, although he got better at that this past year. But 642 plate appearances only hit 18 home runs. He's supposed to be a Mm -hmm. big-time power threat, and he's not. 18 home runs is bad for first base. And it seems like, if I remember right, like, didn't like 10 of those home runs come mm-hmm, within like early. the first month of the season yeah. or something. And in and, and, and doing this research and just kind of scouring all these different things, he's on everybody's sleeper list. He's everybody's, you know, the next big thing. So, I mean, I hope it works out for guys, a former Ray, but I'm kind of with you. I'm not really seeing, you know, I, I, I might take a chance on it, but I'm not super sold on, on the, on him having this huge breakout. I get it. Babip too. So that 264 mm-hmm. average coming down. I get it from a perspective of someone wanting to bet on the skill set that guy has. I know there's a lot of raw power and and kind of what people are hoping for. But yeah, I just haven't seen anything that convinces me he's going to provide me average power for what I want from my first baseman. Mm -hmm, Exactly. All right, two more here and then we'll get out of here. What is your best option outside of the top 20 first baseman? And I'll go first (laughs) because I want to go first. I give it going to give <laughs> I you, two. you do. I do. I want to go first. I'm going to give you two names so that way Ron and Brian can't say them. My number Suck one up name all the names is uh Yuli Guriel. And this is kind of a boring, boring pick. But the more I look at Guriel, the more I can say that he is one of the final good plus batting average hitters in a draft, in any draft. Let me see what's his number going at right now. Uh 247 overall. 
And yeah, he doesn't have that 31 home run a power. Weird he player. He is a weird player, but it's a good player. He's <laughs> no, going he, to hit, he's very good hitter. I, he'll hit so like weird. 315 plus. He's going to score runs. He'll drive in runs because he's on the Astros. I think he is criminally underrated for that very reason. He is old. He's 37 and uh, what's his birth date? Seven months. So he'll be 37, 38 this season. So I kind of get why he's down here. But I think that is, if, if you're looking for batting average, if you have Max Muncy earlier or you've taken several players that are your 230, 240 hitters, take Gurriel here and he will absolutely reset the board for you and what you can take later in the draft and not have to worry about batting average as much. And then the other one I want to touch on, and this one's a little more dependent on whether or not he truly is healthy or not, it's Brandon Belt, who last year, holy cow, Belt finally did what we've been clamoring for him to do for a long time, and that is break out in a big way. 29 home runs and just 381 plate appearances. Now, it's only 381 plate appearances because he was hurt a lot, so that's a problem. I don't think he's a bet for 650 plate appearances, but he is the 21st first baseman off the board. That's a little bit cheating, but pick 220. But ultimately, when he plays, and for the last several years when he's played, he's been so good, and I buy in. I buy into the 12.6% walk rate, good walk rate, which gives him a good OBP. Uh, let's see. He resigned with the Giants, right? Yeah, he took a qualifying order. And he just that won't leave. Sucks. No, he won't. <laughs> but I still think he's really good. The Giants, again, we mentioned are platoon heavy. And that's a fine thing to do with Brandon Belt. So maybe he's a little better in daily uh, transaction leagues where you can shift your lineup a little more. But I still like Brandon Belt a whole hell of a lot here. So that's outside of the top 20. Uh, Ron, we'll go to you next on this one. 20 to 40, who do you like? I really quickly, I've got a Brandon Belt fact I want to interject. Do it. If that's all right. Which is, so between 2020 and 2021, he got 560 plate appearances, which I think we can safely call a full Brandon Belt season. Oh, yeah. And that is, he hit 38 home runs in that. That's so, a lot. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a ton. So I think I would also like to caution that his home run per fly ball rate spiked all the way to 26%. He can't hold that. But no. part of that's real. I mean, yeah. if he hit 28 to 30 home runs in a full season with good counting stats, I mean, I think that could happen. And we were talking Max Muncy earlier, who's that? 28 to 35 home runs going 140 picks earlier. So there's a little bit of surplus value there with all the caveats we said. Sorry, Ron, go ahead. No, it's okay. And that, that always, always good, always up for a good uh, branded belt fact anytime we can fit. You it got in here. belted. You got belt. I thought you were going to say he was from Australia or something. And no one was going to play the didgeridoo. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the wow, guy that wow, I, there's wow. a couple here that I like. I'm only going to pick one because I don't want to take up all the names. That's Jesus Aguilar for the Marlins going at pick 318. A guy that I had as a corner infielder in a couple places and a guy that I feel like I had him in that spot the entire season and he ended up doing just fine. He ended up hitting 22 homers, drove in 93, 281-329-459 slash and a guy that I got for virtually free last year and it looks like he's going to be bordering on that same thing. And, And the other thing that I like about him a lot is there's not really a lot behind him as far as it's going to be pushing him out of that spot in the Marlins lineup. And I feel like the Marlins lineup is going to be a little bit better. So I think there's a slight possibility you might see him get over 100 RBIs. But as long as he's healthy, I think for that for that pick, he's going to give you some solid value. Okay, so since you guys took a lot of the guys you did, I'll focus on a couple of younger guys who we don't know what they are exactly as proven commodities. One of them is Alex Bobby Kirloff. Bobby Dahlbeck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
One of them is Alex Kirilov, who had a wrist injury after finally getting called up last year. And he wasn't totally terrible, even in spite of that. He wasn't like, you know, great or anything, but he didn't crater. I I wouldn't be shocked if Kirilov played every day with a healthy wrist and wrist. Bleh, I'm going to say that sentence again. If Kirilov played every day with a healthy wrist and hit 25 homers, wouldn't even really surprise me that much. So I think he could be an interesting guy to look at in the 200s. Another one, if he makes the Tigers roster, is Spencer Torkelson at 260, uh, who I think we all know the potential that guy has. So if the Tigers say, hey, you're making our opening day roster, he's going to first off go for a much higher pick than 260. (laughs) <laughs> but he becomes someone who merits first base attention for sure. And a guy that who's on a team, the Tigers, who spent some money this offseason. Yeah, they're interesting. Clearly want to do something. And they're in a division where they could do something. I mean, the AL Central isn't that good. It's not it's a very, very good winnable. Division. So I think there's a very good chance. This will depend on the CBA as well. If we find out there's no Super 2 status, if he starts opening day on the Tigers, I would not be shocked. There is Super 2 status. He's going to come up after that. But... I could definitely see it happening. So, yeah, I buy that for sure. All right, last question, gentlemen. Best, what a question. What a question. Best super late option. So this is first baseman outside of the top 40. This is a deep league pick or maybe a speculative ad for a prospect, something along those lines. And, Brian, since you've been just whining and complaining about all the names being picked, <laughs> why don't you go first? So I think weirder things have happened than Ronald Guzman hitting 20 home runs also. <laughs> I mean, he's the kind of guy who occasionally look at me have to stretch just to essentially like find someone outside the top 40 in first base that I even can say anything positive about. I mean, there are positive attributes, but it's on a fantasy team. It's it's a lot harder to find anything. So, yeah, I don't know. I someone like that, like that maybe pops a few home runs for you. But I, I don't have anybody down here that I really want to have on my team have drafted onto my team (laughs) look that is too expensive of a pick for me he's going with pick 902 (laughs) or seven excuse me oh five picks later okay at 907 i'm in 902 no thank you (laughs) all right ron who do you have uh yeah nobody um (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i guess uh, just uh, it's throwing dice down it is it's it's completely just i i don't like any of them what i do want to say first though as I do want to go back on something I said about Jesus Aguilar, uh, keep an eye on Lewin Diaz as well. I know he's not outside the top 40, but he's a guy, younger guy in the Marlins system, a little bit of pop there. And, and, and forget what I said about not having anybody that could push Jesus Aguilar, but e- either one of those guys could give you a little bit of value late. I guess the only guy that I can maybe look at outside the top 40 that I would take a flyer on is Michael Toglia for the, the Rockies. Just because, Of course. Just, of course, Ron. <laughs> just because it is Coors Field, just because he has that potential. He's a home run hitter. He hit 20, 22 home runs in, in high A and double A last year. He could, you know, CJ Cron is injured and, and Toglia is, you know, at triple A hitting well. He could be a guy that you spend nothing on that can end up maybe giving you 20, 25 homers. Who knows? Man, your boy Dan Vogelbach is like, I can't believe Ron just ignores we'll see, me at we'll see, pick 663. I don't, I don't work at Whole Foods anymore, so I don't have to see him on a weekly basis, so I don't feel as awkward about it. It's okay. He's probably mad. He's like, where's that buff guy who sold me all that meat? Because I buy meat three times a week. I apparently. wanted to smash my muscles at that guy. <laughs> All right. Well, yes, I had Michael Toglia on oh, my list. Man. 
prospect, you know, hey, not a great you, one. Now you know how Brian feels. <laughs> yeah. I will hey, what do you guys think feels. about Seth Beer at pick 36? <laughs> okay. I was saving this for the very end of the podcast, but I was going oh, to be we're kind of like, there. I and mean, one other person I wanted to mention <laughs> was Seth Beer. But Again, seriously. If there's a, if mm-hmm. it was with the Diamondbacks, a terrible team where they could just play whoever. Yeah. If he makes the team, that's a great option at pick 453. I don't know that I like him overall, but think about all that, that, all the dumbass headlines we get to see. <laughs> oh, across yeah, every baseball site, everyone thinking, everyone thinking there's more clever than the last. Absolutely. Well, the last name I will give you at pick 42 on the first baseman list is Brad, Bad Brad Miller, 545th overall pick. Brad Miller is not a good baseball player, but Brad Miller last Once year in a while hit 20 he is. home runs in 377 plate appearances. Doesn't have a team, but I guarantee he'll sign at the end of spring training. Someone will get hurt, and he'll play second or third base for someone and hit some home runs. So that is a guy to keep an eye on if you need if you have a just a big old black hole somewhere on your roster and you're like, I need 20 home runs and nothing else, then Brad Miller will be the guy. I think Brad Miller is a great pick for DFS, by the way, on certain days. Mm-hmm. Not so much in regular yeah. fantasy baseball. Like starting but, against uh, certain terrible righties, for instance. Yeah. No G-Man Choi in Ron's list, which is a little disappointing, but I guess I understand it. Well, I, I didn't. Uh, since you mentioned his name, I didn't want to tell the rest of the world so they can take him away from me. Exactly. <laughs> Totally fair. Well, there you go, gentlemen and ladies and everyone out there listening. We have talked first base. This is fun. This is enjoyable. Yeah. I hope everyone got some good information out of it. We'll be back next week, of course, with second base. And I wanted to point out that if you want to talk Dynasty Baseball, check out the Dynasty Baseball Show. That's our sister podcast. Me and these gentlemen, these gentlemen and I record that each week, and we talk the Tampa Bay Rays this week. We'll be talking, who do we side? The Marlins yeah. next week. So let's Out of, of Miami, actually. Out of uh, Florida, which is, I didn't do that on purpose, but we're covering the Florida teams back-to-back. That's right. We're getting Ron's teams out of the way. Maybe then we'll move on to the Royals and we can get the Missouri teams out of the way. And then California and we'll all be good and uh, encompassed. Although there's 800 teams in California. But all right, gentlemen, anything else before we get out of here? Just uh, real quick, you heard it here first. Seth Beer is going to be on every single one of Van Lee's baseball teams in 2022. <laughs> yeah, hey, oh. it can't be Jake Bowers anymore. So, one and nah, Jake <laughs> Bowers. That's a Doug reference for those of you out there listening. <laughs> I did forget to mention, uh, I almost touched on it earlier, the uh, Listener League. We'll be doing that again this year. We do not have anything formalized or finalized because there's no baseball as of right now. So maybe we'll wait a little bit. But I think, gentlemen, and I'm going to say this on the show so we hold to it, by the end of February, we need to decide a date and get all the information out there. I'll tell you what else. We need to do whatever we can, whatever we can, to where uh, where we make the league customizable a little bit yeah and if we do this in advance like i'm saying we can we probably can yeah all right so we're gonna get out of here thanks once again for tuning in so everyone else may the fantasy gods shine upon you <laughs>